So this morning we are continuing in our series in the book of Mark called Incredible, or the Spanish underneath it, Increíble. So this is incredible that God has come in the flesh to reveal himself to us and then to die for us. Our text this morning is Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. And the title of this morning's message is True Greatness. True Greatness. So what we have in this text this morning is Jesus Christ, he's going to display and he's going to define greatness. Jesus is going to display and define greatness. So this is what this text in Mark 9, 30 to 37 is all about. Jesus Christ displaying true greatness and defining true greatness. Now, when you think of greatness, how would you define greatness? What do you think about when you think about greatness? Well, I think in today's culture, it's safe to say that the culture we live in, the air that we breathe, the water we swim in mentally and sort of socially, would probably define greatness as the ability to attract attention. The ability to draw people, the ability to get followers on Twitter. Wow, you got a million followers? You must be great. That's how we would define true greatness. The, the, the sense would be what, how I can get people to look at me. As a matter of fact, if there were to be a picture in the modern day dictionary of greatness, I think this would be the picture. For those of you who are listening worldwide, to the millions of you listening to my sermon worldwide, to both of you that are listening, hey mom, what everybody's laughing at is a selfie stick. A selfie stick has become the symbol in today's world of greatness. It's all about me. If you want to be in the picture, great, but I'm front and center right here. I saw a selfie stick yesterday that must have been five feet long. I thought... That thing is dangerous. So here's the symbol of greatness, I think, in our culture today. The ability, it's all about me, to attract attention to me, to get followers of me, to have my will done. It's all about me. But true greatness, true greatness, what, how does the Lord define true greatness? What does Jesus say about true greatness? Is it all about self? I think we're going to see in this text that I'm going to read in just a moment that his definition is far, far different. But before we read it, can we pray? Because here's my prayer. The selfie stick, it's the water we swim in, the air we breathe. We don't realize how much we are affected by that definition of great. You're truly great if you have a lot of people following you. You're truly great if a lot of people like you. It's it's the air we breathe. And so I'm going to pray that this scripture get traction in our hearts so that we, when we leave here, we can define true greatness the way God defines it. So we don't go chasing after that which is not great. So we don't live small lives, but we live great lives. But we're going to see it's kind of upside down as to how the Lord would define it. So let's pray, shall we? God, I pray that you would give me the grace to preach a message that at times, Lord, I find difficult to live. 
I am far more like the disciples in this text than I am like you. But Lord, you're changing me. You're adjusting my definition of true greatness. Would you continue to do that? I pray this text would get traction in the hearts of everyone listening, whether here or digitally, Lord, that we would embrace and live lives that are truly great in your eyes and value what you value. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read the text. Please open your Bibles and read with me. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. And they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Where's the focus here of true greatness on self or on service? Earlier this week, I was driving on I-95. And as I was getting off one of the exits, there was a huge traffic jam and I was in a hurry. And I noticed the guy in front of me was texting. The light was red, we were waiting. The light turned green and he kept texting. So, I gave him the obligatory, polite, wake up buddy, boop. He kind of slouched a little bit further down in his seat, started moving at about three miles an hour. A large gap was developing between him and the car in front of him. And at that point, I moved from the polite boop to the lay on the horn. What's wrong with you, buddy? My mouth's moving, talking to him. And the person that was sitting next to me, as we made the turn to the right, and as I passed the guy, I just said, can you believe he was texting like that? Can you freeze the frame? That, my friends, was a display of true smallness. The opposite of what Jesus teaches us here in this text. Because this text is about what is truly, truly great. And what I needed on I-95 earlier this week was a lesson on true greatness. I needed this lesson. The lesson that Jesus is giving to his disciples as they're walking from Mount Hermon on this map here, in northern Galilee, see it up there, where the the transfiguration had just taken place, and they're walking about 35 miles south to Capernaum. Do you see it there on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, to the left of Bethsaida? Peter's hometown, a center of ministry for them in Galilee. This will be like the last time they're there. So during that 35-mile walk down, Jesus gives his disciples and us a private lesson on true greatness. Point one, first part of the lesson, Jesus displays true greatness. 
Jesus displays true greatness. Look at verse 30. And they went from there, Mount Hermon, and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know. Private lesson. It's not a public lesson, private lesson. They had paid for private lessons. Actually, they hadn't, but he was going to give it to them anyways. Verse 31. For he was teaching the disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Here's your lesson in true greatness. I'm going to display it for you. I am the Son of Man, and I have come for man, but I will be killed by the very man, men that I have come for, men and women. And I have been delivered into their hands. Actually, this is the second time that he predicts his crucifixion and his resurrection. But this second time, he adds something that was missing the first time. I am going to be delivered into the hands of men. Look at that in verse 31. So I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. I'm displaying to you true greatness. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I've set my face to Jerusalem. I'm about to leave Galilee, never coming back again. And I'm going there to die. And then to rise again. And I will be delivered into the hands of men. Who delivered Jesus into the hands of men? The Father. The Greek there, it's a passive. And many say it's a divine passive. It's God working. God is the one that delivered Jesus into the hands of men. And he's saying, I am, I am demonstrating to you what is true greatness. I will be betrayed. I will be handed over. I will give my life for you. And look at verse 32. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand it just like I didn't understand it on I-95 functionally. Although I was preparing this message. Ouch. They did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. Listen, they had just come from the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. They had just seen the glory of Jesus. They had seen Elijah and Moses. They figured the kingdom was coming. They wanted to go to Jerusalem for Jesus to be crowned. Jesus knew he was going to Jerusalem to be crucified. How many times is the Lord talking to us about true greatness in terms of being crucified or carrying our cross? And we're saying, Lord, please, it's time for me to get my crown. It's time for me to get the fast pass of life. I don't want to wait in that line in Disney. Where's my little pass? Where's my privilege? I want to be first. I want the crown without the cross. That's what they did not understand. That Jesus said, no, if you're my disciple, you are to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And so point two, not understanding what he was saying in his display of true greatness. Point two, Jesus now defines true greatness. Look at verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And he, when he was in the house, most people agree this was probably Peter's house. Don't you love Peter? And when he was in the house, they'd been walking all day. He asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Oh, friends, can I just tell you this? Questions are God's wonderfully gracious way to reveal our hearts. And questions are a wonderful way we can help reveal one another's hearts. Not accusations, not rantings and ravings, but learning to ask a good question of your friend. Now, we're not God. Jesus knew what they'd been talking about. So we don't always know the answer to those questions. But learning to ask a good question can help reveal 
help someone understand what's really in their heart. And this question was a doozy, guys. The narrator tells us in verse 34 that uh, this question, okay, they'd been jabbering all week long, or all, all day long, walking from Mount Hermon to Capernaum, 35 miles. That takes about a day. It's a long walk. Go walk to West Palm Beach this afternoon. You're going to realize it's a long walk. They've been talking all the walk. They get into the house. <sighs> they sit down. They get their favorite beverage. Pop it open. What were you guys talking about? Silence. Silence. Silence because the text tells us that they had been talking about who was the greatest. They had been walking from Mount Hermon to Capernaum with selfie sticks. Chick, 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 chick. Click, 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 click. I can just imagine, okay? Peter, Peter's saying, guys, by, by the way, just stay, stay with me for a moment. They think, well, they know Jesus is Messiah. They think that means that he's going to rule immediately. So they're on their way to Jerusalem. He's obviously going there to take over. And they're the closest 12 guys to the next president of Israel. Forget president of Israel. The next leader of the world. Okay? I could just hear Peter as they're walking. Because they're figuring out who's going to be what. I'm going to be Secretary of Defense. I'm going to be Secretary of Treasury. You know, I'm going to be over this. I'm going to be over that. I can just hear Peter say, guys, guys, just... There may be some discussion between me, James, and John of who's the greatest. But dudes, who did he ask to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration? Hmm? Us. Us. And the other nine, because they're, they're having none of that, they're banding together and they're telling all their great exploits. Remember, these guys had been used of God to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to preach the gospel. Earlier in Mark, these men had been used by God to do amazing things. So I could just hear, they're just regaling one another of who is the best. You can hear the selfie sticks out, see them out, and hear the iPhones clicking. Their silence... Silence can be either a sign of guilt, shame, just not, not getting it. They go like, what's going on? Or hard-heartedness. Probably a mixture of all of those with the disciples right about now. I mean, Jesus had just spoken of his humiliation. Second time now, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die and to rise again. And they spend the rest of the day arguing about which one of them is the greatest. The contrast is jarring. Jesus had just spoken of service, and they're taking selfies. They didn't want the cross. They wanted the crown. They forgot Jesus' words back in chapter 8, verse 34, when he said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, you must take up your cross, and you must follow me. I love what Edward says in his commentary. Jesus speaks of surrendering his life. The disciples speak of fulfilling theirs. Be careful when you start hearing yourself talk about, I'm not fulfilled here, I want something else. Just be careful. I'm not saying it's always wrong, just be careful. By the way, selfies aren't always wrong either. So don't get all offended because if you're a selfie taker, okay? doesn't mean your heart's wrong. Just using it as an illustration. Tranquilo, Bobby. Jesus speaks of surrendering his life. The disciples speak of fulfilling theirs. He counts the cost of discipleship. Oh, this one convicts me. They count its assets. What are the assets of discipleship? 
What do I get if I go here? What do I get if I do this? How can they serve me? I need counsel. My kids need a good youth group. I need something to do on Friday nights or Wednesday nights. I need to be blessed. Just be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be careful. The disciples have yet to learn that the rewards of discipleship come only as a consequence of following Christ on the costly way to Jerusalem. I did not want to follow Christ on the costly way to Jerusalem on I-95 earlier this week. I forgot this lesson. And the Lord, the Lord turned to me that afternoon and the Lord said to me, Hey Al, what are you discussing with your wife? And my wife was just so quiet and calm and didn't say anything. And then when we got to where we were going, oh, yes, of course, where were we going? Oh, man of God time here, baby. We were going to visit someone who was sick in the hospital. Oh, I had it, right? I had it. Get out of my way! I'm going to visit someone at the hospital. <laughs> and and God, God just turned and he just said, what were you discussing just now with your wife? Silence. I'm so sorry, Lord. I didn't understand the specifics of what you have told me, your definition of true greatness. And here it is. Circle it in your Bibles. Verse 35b. Here is true greatness. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. I did not want to be last of all. I wanted to be in front of that guy. I wanted to get there first. And and the Apostle Paul, reading this text, Knowing this text, knowing that Peter was sharing his experience of this with Mark, and Mark had written it for the church in Rome, and the Apostle Paul, who would be going to Rome at the end of his ministry, knew about this and had read this text, and so he writes to the Philippians, writes to the Philippians, actually very close to where Corey and the team is right now in Philippi, which is modern-day Greece, on the top of that isthmus, of that peninsula. His temple is over here, right across And he writes to them this, and this, this is Paul saying what Jesus just said. Do nothing from selfish ambition, O Philippians, or conceit. Actually, he's writing it to Alpino. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I did not count that driver more significant than myself. I counted me more significant. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. I wasn't looking to that driver's interest. I was looking to my interest. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the, here's the reason. So Jesus is displaying it. Jesus is, is, is describing it. He's defining it. So Paul is saying, listen, what Jesus displayed, what Jesus defined, if we're his disciples, then this is what we must do. And he gives us the power to do it. Here it is. You ready? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, describing the incarnation here, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, not of his divinity, but of the prerogatives, of the glory. He left glory to suffer here for us. You can suffer a little, Al, if you don't make that light. By taking the form of a servant, that's the incarnation, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, is when we put ourselves last and we serve others and their interests that we display true greatness, friends. This is our Savior who showed us the way, who died to enable us to live a different way. And he calls us to follow him. Christianity is all about taking self off the center 
and acknowledging that God is in the center. Perhaps it's taking the selfie stick, taking that off, and taking the photo this way. I'm not even in the photo. But oh, I want to be in the photo. I want the photo to be all about me. I I want it to be all about me. And I want to be important. I want to be prominent. I want to be seen, that I'm successful, that that I, I do well. Please acknowledge me. I want to serve the important. I want to be written up. Whatever metaphorically speaking that is for you, that's what we want. And so Jesus, knowing that, knowing his disciples have been arguing about who is the greatest, he takes the least in that culture into his arms. And that's a child. Look at verses 36 and 37. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Please do not confuse modern day sensibilities about children with sensibilities about children in the first century. They were not cute. They were not cuddly. And they were not honored like, oh, look, he's holding the children. You did not hold a child for a photo op if you were a politician in the first century. Because if you did, you would be seen as weak and foolish. No one had time for children. They were expendable. All they were was free labor. They were literally seen, both in Jewish and Greek society, as the last. Why would you even hold a child? Why would you even acknowledge them? And what Jesus is saying, he's saying this. True greatness is when you serve the least, when you serve the smallest, when you serve the most powerless, the hurting, when you serve the ones that no one's going to say, wow, you serve them. TV cameras aren't going to be there when you're serving them. No one's going to acknowledge you for serving them. Listen, there are many examples of this in our church, but moms take heart. Moms, take heart. You are walking in true greatness as you care for your small children in hours of numbing and thankless routine. You lay down your life. You lose your life. You give your life gladly for Christ. And you, moms, are truly great. Now, this is just one example of many in this church. I know that. But, but what is true greatness? What does this look like in the 21st century? We see Philippians 2. We know what Jesus is saying here in Mark 9. But, but think it through with me for just a second. See if this resonates with you. True greatness is when you are forgotten, or you're neglected, or you're purposely set aside, and you don't sting with the hurt of it and the insult of the oversight, but your heart is actually happy. You walk out of that meeting with your boss, you did not get credit for that idea, and rather than being bitter and complaining and gossiping at the water cooler or wherever you go, you're actually happy. That's true greatness. Listen, true greatness is when your good is evil spoken of. When your wishes are crossed, people don't do what you want to do. Your advice is disregarded. Your opinion is even ridiculed. And you refuse to let anger rise up within you. And you don't defend yourself. And you take it patiently with loving silence. That, my friend, is true greatness. True greatness is when you lovingly and patiently bear with all disorder, with people being late, with people being eccentric and kind of weird and what's going on, or when people are just arrogant. And you lovingly, patiently bear with it. True greatness is when you're content with any food, any climate, any society, any culture, when you're content with the interruptions that God frequently brings into our lives, 
rather than slamming your fist on the desk like I often do and say, I don't like this interruption. This interruption on the way to a beautifully dreamed out life in church. I don't, I don't like this interruption. Can we get on with the regularly scheduled program, God? That's true smallness. True greatness is when you accept it happily. True greatness is when you put the selfie stick down and start serving. When you never care to refer to yourself. You don't have to be in the middle of every photo. Your Facebook doesn't have to be populated with how great your life is. Although they've come to find out that a lot of that is maybe not as great as people think it was. But you're happy to work behind the scenes with no one knowing. You actually love to be unknown. That's true greatness. I mean, this is, I need the cross for this. This is not how I'm wired. I love to hear my name sung often. True greatness is when you can see your brother prosper, when you see your friend's dream come true, when you see your friend's whatever, home, family, kids, you name it. And you can honestly rejoice with them when the very thing that you desire, that very thing, you don't get. That's true greatness. That's true greatness. True greatness, is it self or is it service? Here is I believe the point of this message, true greatness, it's service. It's not self. Many of you display true greatness every day of your lives in mundane work, in difficult context, through kindness at work, through hard work that no one ever sees, or even if they see it, they don't reward you for it, or even worse, they punish you for it. True greatness is exhibited by you with kindness on the roadways. You actually let someone in. I'm working on that one still. A heart of service at home, in this church, largely behind the scenes, with little reward on this earth. But, oh, friends, your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. May we, church, be a church that embraces true greatness, that we would be last of all and servant of all. Ask yourselves some questions for application going to give these to the community groups so we talk about them this Wednesday or Tuesday or Thursday, whatever night you meet. Here's some questions to determine our functional definition of true greatness. Am I upset if I'm not praised for my work? Do I like and even long to sit at the head of the table and in the seat of honor? Do I seek credit for what others have done? Do honorary titles pump me up? Is popularity crucial to my sense of self-worth, this is one I'm wrestling with right now. Big time. I'm wrestling with many of them, but this one, we're we're in mortal combat. This is MMA, closed cage, and I'm just going to keep throwing my knee into its face until it doesn't move anymore. Am I a name dropper of those I know or pretend to know? Miami's great for that, isn't it? Do I think I have something valuable to say? About everything, almost all the time. True smallness would be yes to those. True smallness is how I acted on I-95 earlier this week. If, If you are experiencing anger, even aggressive driving, impatience, complaining, these can all be symptoms of us not understanding or at least not functioning in true greatness, but rather functioning in true smallness. Our world doesn't expand, it shrinks. Trying to be first doesn't make me bigger, it makes me smaller. 
The only way, our only hope is looking at our great God. That's why every song we sang this morning had great in it. Our great God. Our eyes need to go up. The disciples' eyes need to look at Jesus. The one who is going to Jerusalem, the legitimate Messiah, going to give his life willingly, down, dying, denying, taking his cross, and then he is rising, and he's in glory now, and our pathway to glory is a pathway that goes right through the cross. There is a crown, but it goes through the cross. True greatness is what our Lord works in us as we look to him. Let us bow our heads in prayer, worship team. Do not join me up front. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us grace right now to see you and see true greatness. Father, I pray that there would be grace upon grace. Lord, I am tremendously convicted by my um, driving and I'm tremendously convicted by how much my um, self-worth as a man is defined by whether people like me or not or people hang around me or not. And I'm sorry for that, Lord. I I repent of that sin. It affects me far more than I want it to. My selfie stick comes out far too often. Lord, help me to break it in two. Father, help me to see true greatness as serving and not self. It isn't about me. It truly is about you and your glory and your fame, not mine. Help us to focus on you, Lord. Lord, in a moment as we see the new uh, members that will be presented to the church, help us to see each one of these as your elect, as your saints, and what a joy it is for us to serve them. And help these new members say what a joy it is for us to serve this church so that we would be walking in true greatness, outdoing one another and showing honor to one another, and laying our lives down, and denying ourselves, and taking up our cross, and following you. Lord, That is not part of our old nature, but thank you that it's part of our new nature, the nature we have in Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.